All right, what's up? Good morning, Liquid Church. Great to see you guys. Glad you're here. Welcome home, especially if it's your first time. Uh, thanks for joining us in Parsippany. Uh, we are one church uh, in many locations. In fact, we have six of them around the state of New Jersey. So would you join me in welcoming all of our campuses who are with us today? Glad you guys are with us. Awesome. Well, listen, last Sunday... Last Sunday was pretty special, uh, wasn't it? Uh, we had the privilege of hosting Tim Tebow, the, uh, the former NFL quarterback who was pretty inspiring. Uh, he was humble, funny, on fire for Jesus. I want to thank you for your patience, especially if you like, were in kind of the overflow capacity. We had over uh, 5,800 people across all our campuses last Sunday. So Easter came early. To me, what's most inspiring is that we had over 120 people make first-time decisions to receive Christ as their Savior. That's what we're all about as a church, okay? Just the coolest thing. In fact, someone uh, pinged us this week on Facebook. They wrote this. They said, um, Dear Liquid Church, my son's girlfriend was one of the many who raised their hands on Sunday to accept Jesus as their Savior. She's been coming with, to us with church on holidays uh, for the past two years, and uh, yesterday was the day she said, I do. Now, just to clarify, that's I do Jesus, not I do Tim Tebow, okay? That's it. <laughs> thank you all for being part of this incredible journey without ever really knowing, and thank you, Jesus, for putting Tim Tebow in the right place at the right time in Christ alone. Amen. You know, Tebow was, uh, to me, uh, you know, you always wonder, like, oh, a Christian celebrity, super humble guy, just very authentic really filled with the Spirit of God and the compassion of Christ. I have two snapshots in my head kind of behind the scenes. Um, he had some friends who had driven up from Philadelphia. I said, oh, how long have you known them? He said, oh, only a couple days. Uh, he met a homeless woman at the airport in Philadelphia, and he felt like God prompting him to arrange for her to be driven all the way up here uh, for last Sunday's service, and she brought some homeless friends with her, and, and they're backstage, and there are kids, and they're kind of all going off the wall, you know, kind of crazy, and one of the kids knocks over this strawberry protein shake he's drinking all over his white sneakers and shoes, and I'm just like, this is bad, you know, and so he goes, no problem, he just takes off his sneakers, and he's playing with the kids in his socks, you know, and taking pictures with all of our, our friends with special needs, just a truly humble guy. Uh, and as we, you know, we drove to the JFK airport, we passed City Field, and uh, where the Mets play, and he's like, hey, hopefully I'll see you there next summer, right? Make it to the Major League Club. You know, I think, I think to me what struck me is that last week, he said something uh, that really stuck with me. I saw many of you post this on social media. He said, whenever you feel discouraged, whenever you feel overwhelmed or defeated by life's challenges, you have to remember as a child of God that the God who's behind us is always bigger than the giant in front of us. Amen? You know, Timmy mentioned a couple of giants he faced in his life. The first was starting with his mom's pregnancy, which was pretty complicated, right? The, the, his fe the fetus was actually detached, and doctors actually thought it might be a tumor, recommended that his mother have an abortion, but his mom had faith in God, and she gave birth to Timmy as her fifth child. And so for the first few years of his life, his brothers and sisters nicknamed him Timmy the Tumor, right? A pretty, right? In his rookie season in the NFL, um, he didn't just face the New York Giants. They're not very giant right now. Uh, he faced giants of rejection, right? He was cut by the Broncos, signed by the Jets, never really had a chance to, to compete. He was cut by the Patriots, cut by the Eagles. And he said to me, it's really funny. He said, you know, Tim, I understand people see me like, oh, you know, a celebrity or something. But I look in the mirror, and I see a guy who lost his job four times. And he said, now I'm taking on, uh, on the challenge of switching sports at my age, which is a giant challenge for an athlete like him. He says, you know, I thought God's dream for my life was to be an NFL quarterback, but it's not how it turned out. And now I have to fight my way to the majors. 
But he was full of confidence because he said, no matter what happens to me in my life, I just never forget this truth that the God who's behind me is always bigger than the giant that's in front of me. And that's a truth we all need to remember, isn't it? It really is at every age and stage. Today, I want to share a message with you called Facing Giants. I'm calling it Facing Giants. Because I was thinking this week, like, how am I going to follow up Tim Tebow? So I started thinking about kind of, you know, famous giants in the Bible. I mean, we all know probably the most famous, you know, David versus Goliath in the Old Testament. That's not my favorite. The, the one I want to share with you today is found in Numbers chapter 13. And I think this is a perfect pairing right now for our church because two weeks ago, right, we talked about crossing Jordan, right? Forty years, the Israelites were kind of wandering in the wilderness, right? We've been a portable church for 10 years. And they finally crossed the Jordan River into the promised land. But they, ha they have to cross this raging river at flood stage. And God says, I want you to step up in faith. And he actually stops the water so that his people can literally walk across on dry ground. In other words, it's Red Sea Part 2. And if you remember, the difference was, he said, I want you to do something to stop in the middle of the river. And I want you to pick up 12 stones. What were they called? Do you remember? They were called Ebenezers. Yeah, it means stone of, of help. And he says, I want you to pile them up so that you tell your kids and their kids that the God who's behind them is always bigger than the giant that's in front of them. Well, today I want to tell you about one of the fiercest giant killers in the Bible. It's a man by the name of Caleb. Can you say that? His name is Caleb. And he was one of Israel's oldest warriors who I think will inspire you whatever age you are, you know? If you're like a millennial, you're like a young believer, you're going to be inspired by Caleb. Like, are you growing up in the kind of faith and bold courage and strength that trusts God in hard times? And if you're older, or I'll just say more mature, you're going to be challenged because Caleb is going to show us that there's no such thing as retirement, amen? Believers aren't supposed to fade out. They're supposed to finish strong, strong in faith and wisdom and spiritual vitality. Caleb's going to show us what it actually looks like to leave a legacy for the next generation. So if you have a Bible or your phone, I want you to flip there or scroll there to the book of Numbers, chapter 13. Easy to find, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. So it's the fourth book in the Bible, the Old Testament. Anybody know why it's called Numbers? It's actually pretty obvious. God said to Moses, I want you to number the people. Count them. <laughs> Find out how many men of Israel can serve in the army because you're going to have to fight your way into the promised land because it's swarming with giants. So as Numbers 13 opens, the Israelites, they're kind of camped out right on the edge of Canaan and they're like 11 miles away. They can see the promised land. They're like, there's the milk and honey. We just got to get across the river. We know how that turns out. But before they do, God says, oh, I, I want to give you a preview. I, I want to give you a little taste of what the promised land is like. So he tells Moses, I want you to send out some scouts, give a little scouting report, some spies to explore Canaan. Here's what it says. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to you guys, the Israelites. So Moses picks 12 guys, right? One from each tribe of Israel, including this one guy named Caleb and this other guy named Joshua, who we know eventually succeeds Moses. And Moses gives them this instruction in verse 17. Look in your Bible. It says this. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, see what the land is like and uh, whether the people there are strong or what's the word? Weak. Are there few or what kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How's the soil? 
Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees on it or not? Do, do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. So basically, these 12 spies go out to case out Canaan, right? God's like, I want you to come back with a scouting report about the enemies you're going to face. Are the people, you know, weak? Are they girly men or are they strong? They're jacked like Tebow, you know? Uh, is, is the soil good? Does it grow crops? Bring back a scouting report. So Caleb and Joshua and these 10 other spies go over to Canaan and they scouted out for 40 days. And here's what they found. Look at verse 26. They came back to Moses and gave this account. We went into the land to which you sent us. And guess what? It does flow with milk and honey. Look, here's its fruit. In other words, they're like, dude, this place is sweet. It's exactly like God said. You got to see it to believe it. And as evidence, in verse 23, it says they, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. And it was so big, two of them carried it, what, on a, on a pole between them. In other words, they're like, this place is wine country, okay? With, with Texas-sized grapes, okay? They're huge. And it's flowing. This is actually the place where they are. It's called the Desert of Zin. This is where we get Zinfandel, people. And so they're carrying this thing back. And the people must have been pumped, right? They're like, dude, the dream is alive. God is making good on his promise to bless us. But there's always a but, isn't there? If you're new to liquid, you should know the Bible is full of big buts, okay? But, they say, but the people who live there are, what's that word? Powerful. And the cities are fortified, and they're what? Muy guapo. Yeah, they're huge. In other words, the grapes are big, uh, but the people are bigger. The scholars say the city walls were 25 feet high, 20 feet thick, with enemy troops guarding each wall. And they're like, there's a bunch of them there. This is one of those verses, right? The, the Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Canaanites. The place is swarming with ites. That's all you need to know, okay? These are the sworn enemies of Israel. You talk about a buzzkill. <laughs> God's going to lead us to the promised land, but it ain't going to be a cakewalk. We're going to have to fight our way in. And you just kind of imagine like <sighs> the joy draining from their faces when all of a sudden this guy named Caleb steps forward, and he stands up, and in verse 30, he says this, then Caleb silenced the people before Moses. I imagine him just going, shut up, and he said, we should go. We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can what? Say it together, church. We can certainly do it. So all of a sudden, conflicting reports, yeah? Ten spies, no way, dude, we can't, we're going to get slaughtered, right? Ten spies. And then there's Caleb and Joshua who says, God, we can totally take them. The Lord promised this land to us. He's been leading us the whole way. And with his help, we can eat them alive. Let's go, guys. The land's ours. So they're at a crossroads moment, yeah? Do we face the giants and take hold of God's dream? Or do we shrink back? Status quo, play it safe and just stay here because maybe God's not in it anymore. This is a moment of decision. Now look at verse 31 because this is what it all turns on. It says, the men who'd gone up with him said, no, 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 dude. We can't attack those people. They're stronger than, than we are. And, and they spread among the Israelites. What does that say, church? A bad report about the land they had explored. Life is full of bad reports, isn't it? They come at the most inopportune times. Sometimes it's a literal report, right? 
Test comes back from the doctor, doesn't look good. I'm sorry to tell you, it's malignant. It's a bad report, right? Your kid comes home from school with a note from the child's study team. The evaluation came back. Your child has major learning deficits, bad report. We all get hit with bad reports. They're very common in our culture. I mean, you watch the nightly news, right? Natural disasters, mass shootings. This is the worst job market in a generation. Congratulations, millennials, right? You know, you got to go find a job in it. Thanks for that. At some point in life, we all receive a bad report that makes us feel small, a little scared, and intimidated. But notice the timing. When does this bad report come for God's people? While they are standing on the doorstep of God's dream for their life. He waits till that very moment. This is a moment of divine destiny in their journey with God. They've been walking with God. God has promised them the land, flowing with milk and honey. And over and over in the desert, God pours out his power and provision. He leads them out of slavery from Egypt. He parts the Red Sea for them. They're in this desolate desert. When they're starving, he like provides miracle manna, right? When they're lost, he's like, I'll give you a pillar of fire to guide you. Yet just as they're about to take this last step of faith to cross over into God's dream for life, they freeze. This is a lesson for all of us. Because anytime you step out in faith to take hold of the destiny or the dream that God has for your life, you better expect spiritual opposition. The enemy will always step up before you step out to intimidate you with all sorts of negative voices and worries and fears. They said, the, the land we explored, it, it, it devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We, we saw the Nephilim there. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we look the same to them. Who are the Nephilim? This is an ancient race or tribe of giants who actually lived on the earth before the flood. Scholars estimate the Nephilim were between seven and nine feet tall. This is the tribe where Goliath comes from. This is the tribe that Aaron Judge comes from. Okay, this is, that's, this is who the Nephilim is, okay? Let's just, it's like, the land's full of giants, and we seem like grasshoppers, right? They're so big, we feel puny by comparison. This is what happens when you get a bad report. It's intimidating, it's overwhelming. They're blown away by the size of the giants in Canaan. They're like, our enemies are too big for us. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they explored. And you know what a bad report does? It paralyzes your faith. It, it freezes these people. All the Israelites' numbers says, what do they do? Say that word, grumbled. Can everyone grumble a minute? <laughs> Against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or the wilderness. All of their, I'll send their middle schoolers, right? Ah, if only we had died. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and our kids are going to be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to what? Go back to Egypt. And they said to each other, we should choose a leader. And we should go back to Egypt. Throw this thing in reverse, Moses. We should choose a new leader. Other words, 
on the doorstep of their freedom, they say, you know what? Better for us to be enslaved than to be slaughtered. And the truth is, guys, whatever you are about to cross a spiritual threshold in your journey with Jesus, or you feel God prompting you to make a significant change in your life, maybe it's changing jobs, maybe it's moving to a new city or something, it is so easy to forget God's faithfulness and let your fears be bigger than your faith. I don't know if I can do this. I, I, I know he's been here, but I don't know if he's there ahead of me waiting for me. I, I don't know if God is in this. I'm facing a giant. What giant are you facing? I know there are plenty of you who are facing career giants. I talked to two friends last night who lost their, their jobs in the last three months. Downsized, no warning. It's killing them. Maybe it's a relationship giant, you know? Maybe you went through a divorce over the last couple years and you still feel lost, you know? You're, 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 you're like, you wanna move on, but you're not sure how to start over. It's like, it's like two steps forward, three steps back. Or maybe you've never been married, you're single, and, and you're just like, you know, will I be single forever? You're just filled with anxiety about that. It's God in that. What about health giants? Someone told me uh, our family is facing a giant, Tim, and his name begins with a capital L, leukemia. My wife was diagnosed this summer, they said, and the giant is testing our whole family this fall. It could be financial giants, some families with debt or foreclosure. There's things that we face in life. Every believer, every believer, there's not one of us who doesn't. A situation that makes us think, maybe God's not in this, and I should just turn back to Egypt. So I get the pleasure of giving you bad news today. I'm like, Tim Tebow gets to give you the good news. I get to give you the bad news. Here's the bad news for everyone who accepted Christ. You're going to follow Jesus. The Christian life is not a playground. It's a battleground. And at, yeah, amen. At the, at the defining moments, you get to choose. Will you believe the bad report and stay stuck in fear? I, I just, I can't move. Or I can't, I can't follow God. It might be too much for me. Or will you step out boldly in faith and follow the Lord into the next chapter that he has for your life? Because we believe in our heart that the God who's behind us is always bigger than the giant in front of us. Amen? See, this is the secret. As a follower of Jesus, it's not about the size of your giant. It's about the size of your God. Do you serve a big God, capital G, or puny God, little God? Is your God powerful or puny? The Israelites didn't believe that God would come through for them and this wave of panic sweeps over the camp. They debate going back into bondage in Egypt. And you know what? Some Christians today aren't much different. Little discomfort, a few bad breaks, a couple bad reports, ready to retreat. You know, I don't, I don't know that this Jesus stuff works. Okay? Listen, if you are on the threshold of a new chapter in your life, I want you to understand something. God will never force you to enter the promised land. Most of the time, he simply presents a choice. Will you stay here stuck in fear? Or will you step forward in faith and trust me? That is the choice some of you are facing right now as you wrestle with your giant. There, there's, a, there's a bad report blocking your path, and, and, and God is like, are you going to choose the way of fear, fear of man, or are you going to it, confront it with faith in me? Believing no matter what happens, it's okay. Because you remember the promise? What did the Lord personal promise to you? He said, I will be with you where? 
wherever you go. Can you say that again? I will be with you wherever you go. He made this promise to them, and the promise still stands. I'll admit, when a bad report comes in, um, to me, it's just very easy to feel overwhelmed, you know, and intimidated. Just ask Dan and Danielle Salyards. They're, they're a young family in our church who had, they were a couple at the time, they had a dream of starting a family, like many do, and all was going smoothly until they received a series of bad reports. In fact, three major giants that initially just left them fearful, but ultimately God used to transform their faith. Watch their story. We um, received a bad report when we had been trying to get pregnant um, for about a year, um, and we went to see a fertility specialist. And it turns out medically uh, that uh, it was going to be really hard for us to get pregnant naturally. So we, um, we had treatment, and it did work. Um, but uh, at the at around 12 weeks, actually the week before Christmas, uh, we found out we miscarried. Even though, and around that time, we were undergoing our second round of, of, of treatment, and um, God showed up big because after we got baptized, it was shortly after that that we, we found out we were pregnant with twins. It was, it was amazing. And we were so happy, they're so beautiful, and everything was great. You know, we thought we were at our promised land. We thought we had we had we had gotten there, and uh, it was at the age of six months that we found out at a routine checkup that our son uh, was diagnosed with uh, stage four neuroblastoma, which is a form of cancer. Um, I've been a pediatric nurse um, in the ICU, pediatric ICU, for eight years, and I've taken care of kids with this particular type of cancer who have not made it. I said, "That's it. We're going to lose them." So when the doctor went in for the surgery, uh, it, despite it being everywhere, it wasn't as aggressive. The doctor was able to remove most of the tumor, and then it turned out he only needed uh, a couple low doses of chemo. So in the midst of Jake's cancer treatment, um, we were watching the London Olympics. We're sitting on the couch, offers me a buffalo wing, and I said, no way, I think I'm gonna vomit from the smell. And she got up, and we happened to have a pregnancy test left over from the twins. And I was totally unaware. And she comes out of the bathroom. I'm like eating food and watching TV. And she says, I'm pregnant. I just, we were just like, what? That's not possible. And I just remember like after the shock, like this is, this is how God's answering our prayer. Jake is completely healthy. The oncologist says, say he's out of the woods. They're not even gonna follow him anymore. He kept showing up and it just got to the point where I was like, I cannot logically explain any of this. And he has answered every prayer. And it's not coincidence, it's real. It's, it's solidified my faith completely. Isn't that a cool story? Can we thank Dan and Danielle just sharing their life with us? I love that, it's real life. You know, Salyards had a dream, right? They want to start a family. That was their promised land. But then they were facing one, two, three giants. Infertility, miscarriage, a son diagnosed with cancer. That's about as close to the heart as it gets. That is a scary situation for anybody. But in spite of their fears, they had this bedrock belief, this faith at a deeper level of their life that was forged, and I would suggest couldn't come any other way. See, when you face a crossroads in your walk with Christ, you face a choice. Do you respond with fear of what might happen, 
or faith in what God will do. See, there is a very thin line (laughs) between faith and fear. Have you ever noticed this? That fear and faith are actually more similar than you think. They, in fact, they share the exact same definition. What is the definition of fear? Fear is believing what hasn't happened will come true. I'm going to the doctors for a test, and I just know it's going to come back with, with, with bad news. It's going to be negative. I'm going to need this. You know, it, it runs in my family. I'm going to die early. I'm going to die. You know. Fear is believing what hasn't happened yet will actually come to pass. Now, what's the definition of faith? Exact same thing. It's believing what hasn't happened yet will come true. You know what? I have no wor- reason to worry about that report because I'm a child of God. My father's writing this story. He is the Lord of the universe, and actually, I'm not in control. He's in control, and he's promised good to me. He said, I'll be with you wherever you go, and no matter what this report is, he's going to use it for my good and for his glory. Amen? So I may be facing a giant in my path, but I'm not going to let it block my view of God because my God's bigger and badder than any big bad report. Amen? So I may not have a job yet. I may not be married yet. The healing may not have come yet, but with my God, all things are possible. My God will provide exactly what I need in the exact right time I need it. Isn't that strange? Fear and faith have the exact same definition. And in Numbers 14, God's people choose fear. It freezes them. Except for two guys, Caleb and Joshua. They step up and they step forward. And this is the voice of faith. Joshua and Caleb who were among those who had explored the land, they tore their clothes. I was going to do this this morning. (laughs) I don't want to make you stumble. (laughs) They tore their clothes, and they said to the entire Israelite assembly, no, 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 guys, the land we passed through and explored isn't just good. It's what? Exceedingly good. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. So do not, we have to say this together, church, ready? Do not be afraid of the people of the land because we're going to swallow them up. We're going to eat their lunch. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with who? Put it on the screen. The Lord is with who? With us. So do not be afraid of them. I love the courage of Caleb. He's like, haters going to hate. Quakers going to quake. But if God is with us, we got nothing to fear, Amen because this ain't our fight. You see those giants? The giants in front of us are no match for the God who is behind us. He promised us this land, and nothing's going to stand in the way of this grasshopper. (laughs) No matter how big, bad that giant may be, my God's bigger. So do not be afraid of them. The Lord is with you. That's a word for somebody. Somebody today. Friends, this is a spirit of defiant faith that every follower of Christ has to grasp for yourself if you're going to follow Jesus into the divine destiny he has for your life. I don't know what giant you're facing, but Caleb and Joshua did not fixate on the size of their giant. They focused on the size of their God. It's all about the size of your God. Who's bigger, God or your giant? What voice will you listen to? Voices. The voice of fear or the voice of, of faith? To me, the courage of Caleb is so inspiring, you know? What what does it mean to listen to the voice of faith? Choose actually that over the voice of fear. Let me give you a real-world example. I have a friend who was a very uh, successful corporate executive, uh, attends our church, heavy hitter, kind of in the world of uh, of finance, and same company for 34 years. 
And his boss called him in and said, company is restructuring. We are letting you go. No warning, just like that. That's loyalty today, right? Three and a half decades of service and he's out of work. And my friend was stunned. He was hurt. What's worse, his boss actually intimated that he was never really comfortable with his faith-based leadership because my friend's kind of outspoken in the workplace about, about God and uh, may have been a factor in his firing. And so when I called him, I expected he's going to be, you know, angry. He was, he was shocked. I expected him to be discouraged, but he's got kids who are college age, you know. Gonna... He said, Tim, at the end of the day, though, I, I'm hurt, but guess what? God's got this. He said, God's got this. I, I believe that. I would never be standing where I am right now if God has not been leading me for the last 30 years. He has been faithful every step of my journey. He brought me here. He's not going to fail me now. This is, I see this as a chance to rebrand myself. I'm like, what? He goes, I'm going to try something new. And I was taken aback because he's got every reason to be overwhelmed, but he's intentionally choosing a faith in God over the fear of man. Instead of having a midlife crisis, he's choosing midlife courage and wholehearted trust in God. See, that's what distinguished Caleb from the crowd. Here's what God noticed in Numbers 14, verse 24. God said, because my servant Caleb has what, church? Big loud voice. A different spirit and follows me what? Wholeheartedly. I'm going to bring him into the land he went to and his kids are going to inherit it. This is the key. God says, what's different about Caleb? He's wholehearted. What's that mean? All in. He is fully committed. What's the opposite of wholehearted? Half-hearted. You're not all in. You're not fully committed. You're willing to compromise. In fact, let me just contrast these two for a minute. I'm just going to speak to somebody. What does it mean to be half-hearted? Half of your heart is to God, but half of it is kind of like frozen by fear or give your whole heart. I had a young guy come up to me um, in our church who's been, you know, he struggled for alcohol for years. And uh, this last year he joined AA and I celebrate. I'm like, man, dude, that is a huge step in your battle to sobriety. And he said, Tim, you got to pray for me. I didn't know it would be this hard. And I go, yeah, I know you're getting like the tremors, all that. He said, no, 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 it's not that. My friends, <laughs> they keep calling. I got through my first two weeks, but last week my old drinking buddies, they call up, they're like, dude, that's awesome. Come on, let's go get a shot to celebrate. <laughs> what? Right? Like, come on, dude, you're not drunk anymore. Now you can do a mud. In other words, he hears this voice tempting him to compromise. Wow, I wonder where that came from. Where does that come from? My friend takes one step towards sobriety and freedom. What Christ died to give him, and he hears the whisper, come back to Egypt. Anytime you're on the threshold of stepping into the freedom Christ has for you, your enemy, the devil, will tempt you to compromise. That's just a fact. Maybe you're a single woman. You, you've committed yourself to sexual purity. You are waiting for marriage to be intimate. This is counterculture, yeah? But your girlfriends say to you, you know, when you're out to dinner, you're just like, no guy is going to go out with a girl who doesn't put out. And sometimes you wonder, like, man, I, maybe I'm going to end up alone if I don't give in. Where do you think that voice is coming from? Is that your besties? No. The Bible calls Satan the father of lies, the accuser of the brothers and sisters. That's one of the ways you distinguish and know it's the voice of your enemy, not God, trying to intimidate you. Anytime you hear voices that use fear or shame or condemnation, that comes from the father of lies, not your heavenly father. You understand? See, folks, you got to understand and embrace who you are as a child of God. You remember your title? 
son or daughter of the Most High King, the author of your entire story, and you live out of that identity with confidence. See, when Jesus comes into your life, he doesn't promise a cakewalk. He doesn't say, I'm going to give you a smooth road. He just makes a promise. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You are my precious child. And your heavenly Father has promised you hope in the future, a promise that is not based on your strength, but on his. Amen? So don't make a half-hearted compromise like the ten spies. With God, nothing is impossible. The Bible says we can do all things through Christ who's our strength. He is looking. God is searching the land for wholehearted believers who are fully committed. Don't die on the doorstep of God's dream for your life. You know how this story ends? Close with this. I, I, I'd like to tell you the Israelites, they're like, yes, yes. And they followed Caleb and Joshua. But Numbers 14, 10 says this. Um, the whole assembly talked about stoning them. <laughs> uh, that would be a no, <laughs> right? And because the Israelites choose fear instead of faith, they die on the doorstep of their destiny. The Lord said, this is, this is fierce. The Lord said, I've heard the complaints are these grumbling Israelites? So you tell them, tell them. I'll do to you the very thing I heard you say. In this wilderness, your bodies will fall. Your body's going to hit the ground. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who has counted in the census, the numbers, who has grumbled against me, not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except for two people. Who? Caleb and Joshua. In other words, the Lord says, you're going to choose half-hearted fear, over wholehearted faith, then your journey ends here. That's it. I can't take you any further. I hope you like the desert because you're going to die here. Isn't that tragic? Out of 600,000 Israelites, not one makes it out alive except for two, Caleb and Joshua. Why? The Lord says, because my servant Caleb, he got a different spirit. He follows me wholeheartedly, and I'm going to bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. Guys, this is the difference between falling short and finishing strong. An entire generation was this close. They're only 11 miles away. They die on the doorstep. And you know what, guys? The same thing happens in our generation, doesn't it? I know so many Christians who spend their best years doing donuts in the desert, just kind of stuck going in circles because they refuse to trust God and follow Christ with their whole heart and they live in fear. Can I ask, is that you? Are you in that danger? Are you facing a giant this fall and are your danger on dying on the wrong side of the dream that God has for your life? I mean, maybe you came last week, you're new to church and, and I'm, I'm gonna follow Jesus. You're like, who's Caleb? I don't even understand any of this. But you're like, but that's speaking to me. <laughs> that's the directional signal right now in my life. I am facing a crossroads moment. And you sense what God may be, be asking you to do and to trust and to follow him into this new season for your life. But you received your bad report. And so now you're like this, on the fence. Maybe I'll trust him, maybe I won't. In every generation, in every church, there are Caleb's and there are cowards. And God's looking for Christians with the courage of Caleb, men and women, young and old, brave enough to pick up their cross, 
to count the cost and actually follow their Savior and confront the enemy in the power and name of Jesus Christ. Guys, that's faith. So let me ask you, could this be your Caleb moment? Facing that giant, will you follow Jesus wholeheartedly wherever he leads you? Because I'm not promising, you know, I'm like, I'm not saying it's going to be smooth sailing <laughs> or you're not going to face difficult decisions. In fact, you may have to sacrifice something very dear to your heart to obey God. But it's the best decision you'll ever make. If the courage of Caleb was what led a brand new generation into the promised land and taught them to finish strong in their faith. What's that look like to finish strong as opposed to falling short? I want to end with this. The Bible says that Caleb was 40 years old when he first explored the promised land. And 40 years later is when they entered. So an entire generation has died off except for Caleb and Joshua. So in Joshua 14, Caleb is now an old man. He's got a cane. He's 85 years old when they actually cross the river into Canaan. And this, to me, is one of the coolest pictures of what it means to finish strong in the faith in the entire Bible. I imagine, you know, Caleb making his way across, and, and they're getting across, and then he gets to the other side and says, hold on, hold on. And, and, he, and he gathers his kids and his, his grandkids around, and, and he's like, hey, come listen. Come here, kids. Come here. I want you to listen to your grandpa tell you the story of the giants. And here's what Caleb says. This is recorded for us. I love this. He says, I was 40 years old when Moses sent me to explore this land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me, they made the hearts of the people melt in fear. Ah, your granddaddy, however. I, f I don't know why he's from Texas. Just go with it. I, I, don't, I don't know. Just listen. I, however, I followed the Lord, my God, how, whole what? Wholeheartedly. So in other words, he's teaching the next generation about the promises of God. And here's my favorite part. He says, this is so good. He says, now then, just as the Lord promised, he's kept me alive for 45 years while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, kids, 85 years old. I imagine the kids going like, you know, happy birthday, you know, Grandpa Caleb, right? And Caleb says, shut up. <laughs> and with fire in his eyes, he says, I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. And I'm just as vigorous to go where? Out to battle as I was then. And this is the best verse. Now give me the hill country that the Lord has promised to me. You yourself heard the Anakites were there. Their cities are large and fortified, but with the Lord helping me, I'll drive them out just as it said. Who's with me? Now that's a grandpa. That's a grandpa. Let me at him, let me at him. Where are my teeth? Let me at him. <laughs> this is not an old man going quietly into the night, is it? Caleb's 85 years old. And instead of fading away, there's this fire in his belly. Four and a half decades following God. And he still has the faith to say, we can do this. Come on, let's take hold of everything that, 
the Lord your God promised your grandpa. You don't be afraid of the giants. If God is for us, who can be against us? With the Lord helping us, we'll drive them out. Just as he said. Is that inspiring to you? That's inspiring to me. That's what I want to be like in 40 years. Yes. Caleb was faithful from the start, and he was faithful to the end. You know, our culture loves to glorify the young and the strong and kind of ignore the elderly. But in God's kingdom, blessed are the saints who finish strong. Amen? Who are spirit-filled and full of faith. Guys, it's the older people in this congregation who are filled with the wisdom that comes from experience. So I want to encourage you, especially if you're an older believer, let me just say more mature believer in our church. You're you're 60 years or or older. We are so blessed to have you with us. We need you more than ever. This generation needs models of wisdom and maturity and faithfulness and finishing strong with a faith like Caleb. You know, reading about um, Caleb made me think of Dave Brooks. Pastor Dave, there he is with our contractor, Charlie. Dave's our uh, executive pastor and recently turned 60. I hope that's okay to say. We'll talk after. I figure, you know, if Caleb, you know, turned in 85, that means you're about to hit your prime, bro. That's, that's what that means to me, right? And as I thought about, you know, Caleb's grit and his tenacity, I thought of Dave because he's walked with the Lord for, for decades. He has amazing stories to tell of God coming through in incredible times. Guys, we're standing here today in Parsippany because... The Lord, your God, chose to use his servant Dave in a profound way. You won't know it. Dave doesn't talk about it. He's a CPA. He's a former CFO of a global gas company. And as our executive pastor, Dave not only oversees our church budget and staff, he was the one who stepped up and says, I'll take on this giant construction project. And for the last three years, Dave has spent himself and used his gifts to lead our church through giant challenge after giant challenge. Finances, building, construction delays, red tape with the town. You want a bad report? Go to the zoning board. (laughs) But Dave didn't lead us behind our desk. If you were here on Saturday for any of our church work days, you probably said, where's Pastor Dave? Oh, he's up there, 20 feet up on a lift, painting walls in our warehouse. He'd get here at 6 a.m., go home at 8 o'clock with Lois. He put our millennials to shame. Rolling up his sleeves, painting. And I remember walking to the church um, a couple weeks ago, and I saw Dave's out on the front lawn. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, pulling up rocks so nobody trips when they're walking in the Lord's house. Even though he's in charge of our entire staff, he is humble enough to roll up his sleeves, get dirty, and model for millennials what grit and determination and perseverance looks like up close. Dave Brooks, thank you, Dave. Thank you. No one works harder. No one slays giants or serves humbly like Dave. I love you, Dave. I thank God for you. You're a role model. Me, thank you. So if you're 60 or older, let Caleb inspire you. Because in God's kingdom, there is no retirement age. Amen? There's no retirement. There's always still giants to slay and generations to inspire. And our church needs you, older believers. Liquid is a young, growing church. We're blessed to have a whole nursery full of baby Christians. What that means is we need all the wisdom, maturity, and faith we can get from older Christ followers who have spent a lifetime faithfully following Jesus a step at a time. 
So whether you're young or old today, don't fall short like Israel. Do not die on the doorstep of God's dream for your life. Step out in faith with the courage of a Caleb. Amen? Let me ask you a question just to bother you. Where are you going to be in 40 years? You got a glimpse of where Caleb was. Where will you be in 40 years? I'm in my 40s, so I'm going to be in my 80s. Question, will you have a story to tell? Will you have a God story to tell? Or are you going to stay frozen in fear? Today, guys, this might be a Caleb moment. With all that is in me, encourage you, follow the Lord your God wholeheartedly. Give your whole heart to him. Do not miss this moment. If you're facing giants today, this could be your Caleb moment. when, When you put your trust in Christ, maybe it is for the first time, or you rededicate your life to him because you've let it grow cold, the embers out. If that's you, I want to pray for you. This is a moment to actually respond to God, what he's been speaking through the preaching of his word. And I know he's speaking to many people. So here's what I want to do. All of our campuses, can we just stand together? We're going to stand for prayer. Everyone stand up together. We're just going to have a moment of closing prayer. Let's bow our heads at all of our campuses with our heads bowed. Father God, we're coming to you and we're just, we're just mere mortals and we're weak and we have fears. And some of us came in today with worries or anxieties and we want to forget them. But Lord, you're not letting us. You're bringing them right to the surface so we can hand them over to the living God. And we're going to leave here without them. Because the God who is behind us is so much bigger and you're so much gooder and better and trustworthy than the giants in front of us. Again, all of our campuses, if you're here today, our heads are bowed, and you're facing a giant and you need the strength of God in that fight, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Just raise your hand right where you are, even if you're at a campus, it's okay, God sees you. Tons of hands all over the room, lots of challenges, lots of battles, lots of battles. Okay, let's do this. I'm going to give you just a clear little space for you to talk to the Lord about it. Just say, Father, here's my battle. Confess to him. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. Would you fill me now with the courage of Caleb? Would you renew in me the courage of Christ? Christ is in you. If you're a follower of God, Christ is in you. Jesus, would you give us the courage to pick up our cross and follow you wherever you go? You can just say, just release it to God. This victory begins with surrender. Just say, I don't know where you may lead me, but I trust you're already there. Maybe you have never begun a relationship with Christ and you're like, I need that. Whatever that is, I need that. You can't draw on God's strength until you admit your weakness. So this is a moment just to confess that to him. You start a relationship with God like this, you just tell him what, you admit the truth about yourself. (laughs) I admit I'm weak. I admit there's sin and compromises in my life. You can just pray that in your heart. Father, forgive me. A, admit the truth about yourself. B, believe the truth about Jesus. That God, your God, your Father loved you so much, he sent his son. And his son went on the cross and took all of your sin and died for you. But by the power of his Father in heaven, who's now your Father, he was raised from the dead. And he has power over Satan's sin and death. Say, Jesus, I believe. I believe your death on the cross was for me. Your resurrection is the power of my new life. 
Fill me now with your spirit. Forgive me for my sins. Fill me with your spirit. I will follow you wherever you go. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you welcome new believers to the family of God if you prayed that prayer? Big deal. Big moment for you. If you're facing giants, we're going to be available after the service with our prayer teams are here because we want to come alongside and pray with you. There's a lot of times there's power in that. But before we do, we just want to sing a song of defiant worship. If you're facing giants, you brought something in today, just let it go in praise. Bring up gratitude to God, believing that he who is behind you is greater than the giant in front of you. Let's sing and worship. Let's do it together, church.